Okay, we started already last week learning the Seder Carbon Pesach, which we recite on our Pesach, and it's already the season that we we prepare for Pesach. So, um, if my if my if I, my uh, math skills are doing good, we have three Sundays left, and what I hope to do over the next few Sundays. Um, women are also welcome to come. I think Rabbi Epstein is going to ask them if he wants them to cancel the Tanya class or not. But um, what I hope to do is today to discuss the laws of Pesach cleaning and preparing for and, and Bedikas Hametz and kashering the kitchen, etc. And then following that to talk about the unique circumstance of this year where Erev Pesach falls on Shabbos and how that affects um, and various, you know, the, the, the meals of Shabbos that we eat, etc. And then another one reviewing the laws and customs, etc., of the Seder night. So, in um, as part of the 30 days before Pesach, the one of the first things that Amar brings as brought in the in the beginning is Mois Chitim to collect funds and to distribute funds for those people who need financial help for Yom Tif. So something which the Rebbe made a tremendous uh, shturim about and uh, extended it to be for every Yom Tif, not just for Pesach, but specifically for Pesach. And so reminder for everybody to budget toward that. And if you know anyone who um, could use some extra funds, please make sure that you let Myself or Rabbi Epstein or Yaakov Weingro, any of the people who are involved in distributing funds, let them know as soon as possible so that we could um, prepare appropriately. Related, um, and I specifically mentioned this because we've sort of gotten out of the habit with COVID, but as Baruch Hashem, things are opening up and people are getting vaccinated and whatever the different circumstances are, is inviting guests for Yom Tif, especially after such a long time of isolation and especially for people who don't have a lot of family or experience making Yom Tif, look around you, find the people who would appreciate an invitation, and if your COVID standards allow you to host guests in your house, um, make an extra effort to host guests this year. Um, another thing which I wanted to mention was selling the chametz. The custom is that we sell the chametz by, in person by making the Rav Shliach, and uh, you lift the handkerchief, you make a kinyan, and there's a whole procedure. Now, we do have the Mechiros Chomet form on the website, and that is absolutely valid if you just do it on the website. However, the minhag is to do it in person with the Rav. And I emphasize that because, again, it's one of the things which last year, if you recall, the weeks before Pesach were sort of at the height of the lockdown, and uh, going to see anyone in person, especially a rabbi, was considered uh, um, <laughs> a mortal danger. Um, but... Um, but if you are able to see the rabbi in person and make him a Kenyan, um, that is the custom amongst all communities of Israel. And we treat customs in general, and specifically, we've spoken about this in the past, specifically the customs as they relate to Pesach to be very sacred, and therefore make the effort to go and meet the rabbi in person and make a Kenyan and sell the chametz that way. Another thing um, from last year was that if you bought new utensils last year and had to rely on one of those workarounds that were available so as not to need to table them because all that all there was no access to the mikvah then make sure that when you unpack your kitchen this year before you use them even one time to make sure first of all they're thoroughly clean and then take them to the mikvah um if there's if there's dirt that doesn't come off if you use it to cook and like it's not gonna it's, it's never as well as you clean it it's never gonna look brand new that's fine as long as there's no substance substance um on it now, one of the things that the Paschal mentioned already within the 30 days for Pesach, to, that we're always mindful that Pesach is coming. So if you're ever dealing with something that Hametz might stick to, be aware of it and take care of it right away. And some Paschal, also in the modern in the contemporary Paschal, talk about being aware of this when it comes to dry cleaning, that if you dry clean your clothes year-round with the, in the dry cleaners that use starch, then already from now, you should ask them to not starch your shirts on a thing like that because often the starch, uh, and then the foys, or often whatever, the starch contains chametz. Now, there's a mitzvah of a samachta b'chagachot, there's a mitzvah to be happy on Yom Tif. And um, there's also a mitzvah, it says in Shukhan that we don't say kamotoyrach Pesach, we don't say how difficult, oh, it's so, I'm so stressed to prepare for Pesach. I don't know if we're going to hold anyone accountable if they ever complained that it was stressful, but we certainly want to make an effort to prepare accordingly, plan in advance, know 
first of all, know what you're going to do and what you're not going to do, and know when you're going to do it and how you're going to do it. And the more planned you are, um, the, the, the easier it will be to fulfill these mitzvahs of not talking about that it's difficult to prepare for Pesach and to actually rejoice in Yom Tif and not to give ourselves, our wives or our kids, um, trauma that uh, Pesach, instead of being a time of celebration, becomes into this time of OCD walking on eggshells and, and panic. Um, and related is actually uh, just just related because I, if I recall correctly, it's the it says you shouldn't say how difficult Pesach is because it echoes the words of the Russia of the four sons, the Russia. He says, oh, what's this all about? So if you complain, you know, this is so stressful, and that echoes his words. Um, the um, Another thing which is brought in halacha is not to say that this meat is for Pesach, because we don't want to be in any way, we mentioned this last year, don't last week, we don't want to be in any way alluding or giving the impression that any meat that we're buying is going to be for the, quote, Pesach, for the Paschal sacrifice, because it's forbidden to bring a Paschal, a Pekarim Pesach in the diaspora. And like we discussed a few weeks ago, according to most Paschal, it's forbidden to bring a Karim Pesach nowadays, even in Jerusalem. So therefore, we don't say this meat is for Pesach. We say this meat is for Yom Tif. That applies to beef, to, to, to lamb, to chicken, to anything, not to fish, but to any types of meat. Um, we say it's for Pesach, Yom Tif. We don't say it's for Pesach. Um, but but the Ebed, if you did say, oh, I bought meat for Pesach, uh, the Alter Rebbe says, it's fine. The Alter Rebbe brings a Chumrah. So we mentioned last week, the carbon Pesach can only be from sheep or goats. It can't be from beef. So the Alter Rebbe brings that a Chumrah that if you said it's for Pesach, then with the Ebed, you shouldn't use it. Um, but that's, oh, that Chumrah is only if it's lamb or goat meat, not if it's beef or chicken. So, but the ever, I don't think most, in America, it's, and, and actually in Europe, in England, it's come, we always had lamb meat for Yom Tif. Um, I don't know about goat meat, but lamb meat, actually lamb meat for kashros wise, lamb meat is also much better because the the, the issues with the glut, with having a whole, you know, whatever punctures or issues, uh, wounds on the lungs are much simpler with lambs than they are with, with beef. But anyway, um, so, but, but for some reason in the United States, lamb is not as common and it's much more expensive than beef. So it's not so common. So usually that doesn't end up being a problem. Now, we all know that when it comes to Pesach, we do lots of chumras. Pesach is a time of chumras. And at the same time, it's interesting. I listened to, the, just this past week, I listened to shiurim from, most of what I'm gonna say is actually gonna be based on one of those two. And you'll see some areas the two differ, but I listened to Shurim from Rabbi Farkash in Eretz Yisrael, one of the most prominent Chabad Rabbanim today, prominent Rav recognized beyond Chabad world as well. And also to Rabbi Gedalia Obelander Monsi. And it's interesting that they both start with this preface to their classes that we have to know which Chumras and which customs are legitimate Chumras and which, which are not. So we have to know what's obligation, what's customary in a Chumrah, and what things are things that people do, which there's absolutely no need for it. And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing it, but you should know that this is not part of Pesach cleaning. This is spring cleaning, and you have to decide, can, can I afford the time and effort um, uh, you, to do this now? So, uh, for example, if you want to clean any, for example, anything that you sell to a guy, and the Chabad custom is very strongly that we sell to a guy, even even real comments, not, you know, we don't get rid of anything we sell to a guy, we're perfectly comfortable with that. So there's no need to clean out your kitchen cabinets. You're closing them off and selling them to a guy. Now, if you want to once a year clean out your kitchen cabinets and you choose to do it before Pesach, that's fine. But just know that that's nothing to do with Pesach cleaning and you can do that any other time of the year. Um, and, you know, just know what you're doing, what you're not doing. Okay, so... The, the, the basic principle, and we're going to go through the various applications of it, but the basic principle is that, yes? Other than the basic cleaning in the kitchen cabinets, if you clean them up because you are looking out at the hummus and you're planning on putting base up in it uh, and in there when you're preparing the food, okay, is there anything special other than a basic cleaning? We'll get to that. So the basic principle of all, what, what do we consider, quote, a legitimate chumrah and what is not? Is and th th this is already mentioned by the Torah. The Torah brings in the name of his father, the Rosh Yisrael Kedoshim, that we do things even that we're not obligated to do. The basic principle is that all chumras are only quote valid when they have to do with eating. If there's any concern, even the most remote possible concern, that this will affect the food that we imbibe on Pesach, 
then it's a legitimate chumrah. So just for basic example, there's absolutely no reason in the world to scrub the walls of your basement because nobody's touching or eating or scraping coming anywhere near that. Near that. But um, it is customary to clean thoroughly all the chairs that you're going to use on Pesach, even though you don't eat your chairs. Um, but you may, during the meal, sort of touch the leg, you know, and who knows if maybe there's a piece of crumb stuck under there, your kids are crawling under the table. Um, you know, sometimes you may find if you have those uh, tables that extend in the tracks, you know, the kid went there and he was holding a piece of challah and then he got into a fight and he stuck a piece of challah there. You know, so those are the type of things where, again, strictly speaking, what's well, soon may not be necessary, but certainly the chumrah is that anything that is to do with the dining room, living room, kitchen area, that's where we apply all our OCD um, in preparing for Pesach. You know, the, the Sefer Chinuch says that one of the reasons for the mitzvah of is because everybody needs to, you know, have a healthy let out and celebrate and be happy and drink and, and be merry. So the Torah gives us a holy framework with which to do it. So maybe... Part of these chumras is a whole new framework for us to express our OCD. Anyway, <laughs> what? The the reason I believe the reason why people are careful about clothing starch is because you eat wearing your clothes. You know, you you put your sleeves down. No, but you put your sleeve you put your sleeves down on the table, and then a, a speck of starch will go onto the table. Then you put your matzah there. Again, it's it's it is far fetched, but. These are things which it's, it's the custom to do, and we know uh, we talk about the Arizal, Hazor, Nizam, and Mashu Chomets. If somebody is careful, even from the tiniest speck of Chomets, it's a tremendous chus. Okay, um, so in Gemara and Shulchan Aruch, well, Shulchan Aruch, in, 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 in classical sources, yeah, in the Gemara, it doesn't talk anything about, there's no obligation to clean for Pesach. The obligation is to bedikas chametz, to check for chametz. Why is there an obligation to check for chametz? So it goes like this. Minat Torah, on a biblical level, bitul chametz is enough. If you are declared or any chametz that's left in your possession to be insignificant, and more than just ownerless, insignificant. It's part of the text that we say in Kol Chamira, that we declare all the, any, anything that's left to be um, as the dust of the, of the earth, right? So on a biblical level, that's enough. So you could, no Pesach cleaning, no bedikas chametz, no nothing comes the time on Erev Pesach, you declare any chametz left insignificant and you're done. Nevertheless, the Chachamim instituted that we do have to check and remove any chametz from our possession. Why do we have to remove chametz from our possession? So basically there are two reasons, even though the two reasons are connected, but the two reasons are, first of all, we're concerned that perhaps your declaration of the chametz being insignificant won't be as sincere as it ought to be. And secondly, so you may declare it ownerless or an insignificant, but you might not actually mean that. And secondly, um, that even if you do declare it completely invalid, but then if you happen on Pesach to chance upon a good donut or a good bottle of whiskey, you might forget that this is, you know, you might by mistake accidentally eat it. So because of those two reasons, the Chachamim said we have to get rid of any chametz from our possession. Now, anything that we sell to a goy, so the halacha is that if you sell it to a goy, you have to put a mechitza de asar tzvachin. You have to uh, block it off, or if it's in a kitchen cabinet, you put a sign on it. You can even tie it closed. You put a sign, sold to a guy. In other words, you make it very clearly marked. You know, this is sold to a guy, and that's it. You don't need to think twice about it. It's closed. It's done. Finished. Goodbye. Um, we'll see. Uh, hopefully next week, or how, you know, this year, the sale. We're still going to have some chametz on Shabbos because you need to have chametz for the meal. But the sale to the guy is done before Shabbos. So we'll see how to apply that this year. But the general principle is anything that's sold to a guy is no problem. Now, so the, the custom is to burn things on Friday morning, to burn it at the same time that you would if if it were Erev Pesach. Um, but you don't actually, you still, even after the burning, you're still keeping chametz to, to, to at least enough for Lecha Mishnah. Um, okay, I'll, I'll mention, we're talking about it anyway, I'll mention it. Two tips. First of all, one one tip that I've used in the past, has been quite a few years since I've faced Chalon Shabbos, is to use, instead of challah, to use pita bread, because pita bread is much less crummy um, than, than Pesach. You can also eat it outdoors and, and you know pour bleach over it afterwards, but you have to know how to do that because because uh, the halachas of eating a meal in two different places, we'll discuss that next week. Um, 
another thing which you could do certainly for kids if you're worried about kids making crumbs is egg matzah. Even though the Ashkenazi custom is not to eat egg matzah on Pesach, but um, but it doesn't mean we treat it like hummus. So if you want to give the kids egg matzah for have for the Shabbos meal, sorry. Oh, so egg matzah is mazonis, but it's not hamotzi, which is why I'm not recommending it for adults. But you can certainly, first of all, for kids, I don't know if that you have to be makwe that they have hamotzi for the Sunday Shabbos. And um, if you convey a sudan it, if you have even for an adult, if you have two egg matzah, if you have a good amount, uh, I think exactly what the amount would be. But if you have a proper amount when you convey a sudan, you make a meal over egg matzah, then that would be valid as well. And then you don't need to concern yourself with the crumbs because it's not hummus. Um, it's it's kosher pesach. It's customary that we don't eat it on pesach and we don't treat it like comets. Now, um, so because the reason is because the reason for bedikah is that you might come to you have to get rid of comets because you might come. One second. So Chazal said you have to get rid of comets. How do you get rid of comets? It's called bedikah, checking for comets. Now because we are blessed with affluence and we all none of us live in one room. Apartments. We live in houses. To right, so we can't just show up on the night of chametz with a candle and get rid of chametz. It takes a process of cleaning for Pesach. So essentially, we have to look at the whole process of Pesach cleaning as being an extended bedikas chametz, um, and that will help us um, understand what things are we looking for, what things are, what things do we clean for, what things do we not clean for, what are we caring about. Um, also, as we'll see soon it's recommended that you don't leave the entire B'dikus Chametz to the night of B'dikus Chametz. You have to do B'dikus Chametz that night, but that doesn't mean you have to leave your whole house to do that night. You could do your house in the weeks leading up to Pesach as, as you clean them to check them that day, as we'll see soon. Now, when you're looking for Chametz, you're really looking for two things. You're looking either for a piece that's as big as a Kazais, or even something that's less than a Kazais, but that's something that's edible. If you find a pretzel, you might grab it and eat it. Right? You're not looking for a crumb. Now, the custom is, as Yisrael Kedoshim, if you happen to see a crumb, then you take it away. But we're not here to look for crumbs of chametz. That's not what it, what this is about. Now, yes, again, the minhag is that if you see crumbs, you take them away. But um, you don't. We're not looking for crumbs. You don't have to. Right? You don't have to. Whether or not you. I, I'm not sure if you don't have to vacuum because it's a mokim shemachnisim bechametz. There could be a chashash if there's a carpet that there's something that there's actually a crouton in there. Um, but but you don't have to. Uh, strictly speaking, you certainly don't have to sort of get into the basement couch into all the crevices. I don't know if there's any need for that. Um, in some places it depends. Also, in other words, like this: mokim shemachnisim bechametz means any place where you might, where, where it's reasonable to assume that you might go there. In the middle of the meal while you're holding a piece of food right so i think it's unlikely that anybody goes into the boiler room in the middle of the meal. like that's not a place where you end up with a piece of bread in your hand but the, you know but if you have kids kids go everywhere all the time so that it's not so unreasonable to say oh there's going to be a, some a, a pretzel in the couch so clean out the couch but you don't need to go another very important principle is you don't anywhere sh- beyond shayadi magas anywhere which you can't reach you don't need to go to lengths to reach places. So, for example, there's absolutely no need or even minhag to pull out the oven or to pull out the fridge and clean behind it. What's behind the fridge and behind the oven, you can't, that's it. You, 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 you can't reach, there's no need to clean that. However, if for whatever reason someone does choose to pull out the fridge to clean it, then you have to check it. So then you have to pull it out again on the night. Then you either have to pull it out again on the night of Badika's Hummus to check it, or you have to check it according to the rules of B'dikas Chametz before you put it back. So let, let, let's review that. Um, the, 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 the typical B'dikas Chametz is that it has to be done at night and it has to be done to the light of a candle. Um, now, the halachas here do, are not very scientific. I don't know that they make a lot of sense, but we're not into it. We have to do what it says in the, in the Shulchan Aruch. So just a second. Okay, so the halacha is that the light of a candle only works for B'dikus Chometz at night. And it says, even if you're in a pitch black room in a basement, in a in seven floors below ground, it doesn't matter. If it's daylight outside, B'dikus Chometz does not work to the light of a candle or a light. A light. So B'dikus Chometz must be done at night. 
Um, now, it can be done with a candle, it can be done with a flashlight, and nowadays everybody has a flashlight on their phone, so that's a very big convenience, but it must be done at night. The exception is, it could be done by daylight, by daylight. Um, now, here is one of the areas where we have a little bit of a difference between Rabbi Farkash and Rabbi Oberlander, but I'll, I'll convey it as I, I understand it. Um, the because we all have big houses that we're Pesach cleaning and doing all these things, we consider it Shasat Chak, so we will allow you to do Bidikus Chametz to the daylight, to the sunlight. However, in order for that to apply, it needs to be two things. First of all, it needs to be Oyerav, it needs to be a very bright place. So somewhere where you have direct light from a window, um, you know, like, that, uh, in other words, not just bright from bright, bright from sunlight. So for example, here in this room, when there's all these windows coming in, you have a lot of sunlight, it's very bright. Um, but in the hallway where there's no direct window light coming in, um, so then, no, no, only by night, not by day. By day, you can't work with electric lights. Um, now, then, um, now the Shulchan Aruch says that you can't, that the sunlight only works if there's no glass. If there's glass, then that doesn't work. However, so here's where we get into the big machlekes achreinim and Rabbi Oberlander and Rabbi Farkash find themselves on two different sides of the fence over here, whether or not the contemporary glass, which seems to our eyes to be a very good conduit of the sunlight, it counts. You know, does it when it says that you're not allowed to use glass without talking about the maybe stained glass or different old-fashioned glasses or not? Rabbi Oberlander is lenient about this, and he says that if there's um, if there's plenty of light coming in, um, that's fine. But again, you can only check comments to direct to direct sunlight. Um, so if you're pulling out, if, if for whatever reason you choose to pull out your fridge and oven to clean behind it, then what I would recommend is that if you have direct sunlight coming into that area, then you clean it, you check it thoroughly, and you put it back, that's fine. You've done your B'dikus Chametz. If not, then you have to wait. And you, if, and you don't want to pull it out again for the night of B'dikus Chametz, then wait before you put it back, wait until it's nighttime, then go and check it with a flashlight. And then you can put it back and you're done. Um, what? Because the Paschim say that, that now it's because because if within 30 days you've it's a the reason you don't need to check it is because it's a Makim Magaz, it's a place that you can't reach. If within 30 days you've made it into a place that you can reach, so now it becomes obligated to check. Um, yeah, just so I understand the use of sunlight. I think so. Um, I'm not. I, I'm not sure about that. I'm not, I don't know. Not necessarily. No, I don't think. I don't think. No, probably not necessary. Okay, but as long as sunlight is available, in that, whatever the room is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but let me just like cars. Um, just a practical. Let's do one thing. I'm gonna get. It's all on my notes. We'll get to the cars in a minute. Um, now. Behind the fridge, we did. Um, one second. Now, Rabbi Farkash has a tremendous leniency, which he he says. The Alter Rebbe says this. I don't think the Alter Rebbe says it explicitly, although I do. I do see where he gets it, where he implies it from, and certainly Rabbi Farkash is a very reliable source. He says that any flat surface that you've cleaned thoroughly, the cleaning itself renders it bedika. But that cleaning does not help for the nooks and crevices in the corners, right? So, so for example, you've moved out the fridge, you've washed the whole area thoroughly, right? You, then you just take your flashlight, check in the corners and in the edges and the, in the perimeter that there's no chametz, and it's done. You don't need to check the whole area. And what that means is on the, on the night of B'dikus chametz, when you're going around the house, he says, you don't need to sort of check every inch of under the table because you've already swept them up the floor under the table. That's good enough. But that, that only helps for the flat, open surfaces. It doesn't help for the nooks and crevices, which is why he says, we see that most people spend the time on B'dikus chametz looking in the corners and the edges, not in the and the thing. So that's certainly a very helpful thing, again, especially nowadays that we all have big houses, um, etc. But either way, it is recommended, and this was the minute of the Rebbe Rashab and many others, that we do not leave the whole Bidika to the last night as you're going along do the Bidika. Now, another important area of that is the fridge. Inside your fridge, 
and uh, you were talking lately about uh, using cabinets for, for Pesach. Inside your fridge and inside your cabinet is a makam shemachnisa bechametz. It's a place which year round is used to store chametz. So those places need bedika. You need to check them. Now, it's a bit. Um, it's a bit. I don't know what the word is. It's like you're gonna you're gonna pesach clean it, cover it, do everything you do, put your pesach food in there, and then on the night of bedikas chametz, you're gonna stand there with a candle, checking that there's no chametz there. I mean, obviously, right? So what 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 one what is recommended is that when you whatever you choose to pesach clean your fridge and your cabinets, the first thing you do before you put anything pesach in there is you do bedikas chametz. So again, if it if it has direct window light, you just that itself constitutes the bedika. If not, then at nighttime, you go, you open the fridge, you have light in the fridge, or you use your flashlight, and you check it before. Again, it, it doesn't, to, to our human minds, this might seem a bit of futile, but that's the halacha. You have to check it um, with, with the light to check that there's no chametz in there. Before. And then then you start storing your, your Pesach food in there. Um, one second, we'll get the covering soon. Um, the the um, Another important element of Badikus chametz of your fridge is to check any foods that you buy. Just because it's the kosher for Pesach, Isle and Jewel doesn't mean that somebody didn't make a mistake stacking the shelves and put something chametz stick or, or kidneys, whatever, on the... We don't, you don't have to sell kidneys. It's perfectly legitimate to own kidneys. But just make sure just everything you buy, check the labels that it's actually, you know, we're not relying on the, the you know, the, the labor at Jewel that it's kosher. Um, now, another thing is... Okay... Um, you, you, Akiva mentioned about cars. So cars also, you have to be, you have to do bedikas chametz. So <laughs> certainly, if you have kids, it's a well mocking mechnisim be chametz. But again, you only have to check the mocker ad mokim sheyadim agas, the place that you could reach. So one place that you really have to do um, is uh, okay. So the inside the car seats, there's lots of, there's always pretzels there, and the kid can very easily on Pesach stick his hands under there. And get a pretzel and eat it. So you got to take out the car seat, empty it, make sure you the thing. But within the car seat, you know, in the back, there's a crevice where you could see crumbs there, and you can't reach it. It's fine. If you can't reach it, it doesn't matter. The same is within the seats. You know, you clean the pouches, you clean within the seats. You don't need to start um, lifting up the carpet and opening the thing where they keep the spare tire. And like, you don't need to buy, buy any place which is not accessible, which you can't reach just by reaching it. You know, you don't need to start um, taking apart your car um, to clean it. Um, no, you're not just looking for kazais. You're looking also for perurim, which are edible, like a pretzel or a crouton. Okay, fine. But then let's say you have an open handle. You don't yeah. do that. You just go like this. You look at your hand. You just you sweep, but like you like go in an opening. You see, okay, is there anything there? No. Bam. Perfect. Why are you using vacuum things and shampooing things like this? So, so again, all of those things are um, shampooing. Is certainly, the reason is like this, because if there's a, when it comes to eating, we are very, we go, we go extreme. So the concern, I guess, would be that somebody is going to stick his hand into that pouch on Pesach, and there'll be a tiny crumb that will get stuck behind his nail, and then he's going to suck his thumb or his fingers, and that crumb will go into his nail. So by vacuuming and shampooing it, you, um, you, you, you um, it, it's, it, it's, it's a chumrah and possibly even a borderline unnecessary chumrah, um, but uh, but certain thing. Now, one thing with shampooing and bleaching and all these things is that once you've given something chemicals, it may, gives it another level of not being edible. So if there's a hole where, you, oh, I'm not sure if this is considered, I could reach it, I can't reach it, and you, you, you get yourself tied in knots like, like I like to do. So, um, so what you do is you just pour bleach in it. And then even if it is chametz and even if it is technically considered something that you can reach, you pour bleach on it, it's good. And we'll see that that's one of the ways to deal with chametz on Erev Pesach that falls on Shabbos might be to pour bleach on it because, you know, that's that's possibly... Rabbi Farkash doesn't even like the bleach. Okay, we'll talk about that more next week. Anyway, now, besides Pesach cleaning your car, you have to do Bidikas chametz. Now, the car Bidikas chametz is a very good example of something that's open to plenty of sunlight. And there you don't need to rely on the, the glass. You open the doors... So you don't need to do bedikas chametz in your car at night. You can do bedikas chametz um, during, if, if certainly if you're pressed for time. Look, I should say, you know, um, it, it's better to do it at night. And if you could do it, if you clean your car, again, not the night of bedikas chametz. Uh, yeah, you clean your car. And then that night you go in there with your flashlight and you check. Um, 
and it's and it's okay. But if 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 you want to do, you know, Rabbi Farkas says you could rely on doing things nowadays. Everything's a shasit chak. So open all the doors and just go through besides vacuuming it. Then sort of visually check it afterwards that there's nothing left and that's it. And of course, once you've done that, you have to be careful that no more chametz goes in there. So when you go on a family trip. Um, make sure there's no hummus snacks. Don't take granola bars. Take uh, applesauce. Yes. No. Oh, very important. Thank you for bringing that up. No, the blessing for bedikas hummus. You only say the night on the night of bedikas hummus. So all of these bedikas hummus that you're doing in the leading up days and weeks would be done without a bracha. But you must leave at least one section of your house that is a that is a makom So not your boiler room, but a, a, a legitimate place that requires bedikah to leave to do it. Um, on the night of Bidikas Hametz, although technically you could say that because we have the custom to put out the 10 pieces of bread, so then even if you just do the boiler room, you put in the bread and it becomes a Mokim Shemachis but we don't do that. We leave a room that actually needs Bidika, you know, leave your, 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 your a section of your living room, a bedroom, whatever, to do um, the night before. It's also very important, we'll see this uh, okay, in more detail, but I should just mention, it's very important to do Bidikas Hametz as soon as the time as soon as it's nightfall on that, that night this year, it's going to be Thursday night. You have to do it right away. And the Shulchan Aruch says that if you don't do it right away, you are an avarian. It's a strong Russian, which the Shulchan Aruch doesn't use um, easily, that you are a uh, transgressor. Now it is, there is a special uh, uh, dispensation given to Davin Mayriv first, because we don't want to make people come to Shul for Mincha, go home and come back for Mayriv. But straight after Mayriv, you go home and don't do anything else before you check for Hametz. And if you're not davening Mayer with a minion, then make sure to schedule your day that you're going to be available at that moment to, to do B'dikas Chametz. I work till, uh, 10, 11, so if you're going to work till 10, 11 that night, then that's a problem. Then you have to make a shliach to do it for you. You can't, you, you shouldn't leave the B'dikas Chametz till, okay. till then. You should have a shliach. Again, most of the B'dika, you don't need to burden your family members with a big job. You could do most of the B'dika any night before. And leave one room to do that night and make a shliach to do it for you. And yeah, could be could be anyone over bar and bas mitzvah can do it. Um, now, when it comes to uh, one one more important things when it comes to a few more important things when it comes to bedikas comments. Now, Shulchanach talks about pockets, checking your your pockets. Now, back in the day when people had well, you know, two whatever, it wasn't a big deal. But now. Everybody has loads of clothes. You change at least once a day for most most part. So checking comments can be for the pockets can become um, burdensome. So a few things. First of all, anything that you're not planning to wear on Pesach, you uh, and I should mention um, certainly for adults, one should wear Shabbos clothes for the entirety of Pesach, including Cholamayit. Um, it's part of the respect of Cholamayit to wear uh, Shabbos clothes. If you could wear a white shirt, a kapata, whatever your standard of Shabbos clothes are. Um, but uh, that's uh, that's appropriate for um, But if you have any clothes that you know you're not going to wear on Pesach, you just include them in the sale, and that is fine. Now, some poskim are lenient nowadays about checking for the for the clothes the pockets, because they say, look, you wash everything with detergent. The detergent disqualifies it from any being edible, and therefore you don't need to worry about it. However, it's doesn't seem to be the accepted opinion. Neither Rabbi Farkash or Obelander just take that blanketly. I think there's a few reasons. First of all, it's not clear that it actually disqualifies it even from animal consumption. Um, and, and at once, you know, if, if, if you were to have a pretzel in your pocket, which got some tide in it and it dried out and a dog would find it, I don't know that a dog would be repulsed from eating it or even dangerous. And nowadays, a lot of people use healthier chemicals that may not even be poisonous or whatever. So we have to... Well... Yeah. Well, it depends. For kids, you can often find uh, actual crumbs and stuff. Um, and uh, for adults, you usually find food wrappers or chocolate, but chocolate's not hummus. <laughs> uh, the, the, so basically like this, the best thing to do for the pockets is, again, to get into the, this is what I try to do in my house, already from a few weeks before Pesach, to get into the habit of before you do put the clothes into the washing machine, empty out the pockets and check if you have sunlight in your laundry room. Um, that's the best. If you don't, then it would have to be at night. It would be a bit more challenging. But if you have sunlight in your laundry room, um, then take it to the window and check that there's no crumbs left in the pockets. And then if you're doing that consistently for a few weeks before Pesach, 
then, you know, I'm talking in my case, instance where we have kids who, right? So chances are, if you start doing it now, that by the time Pesach comes, you will have checked all of their clothing that they're going to wear um, on Pesach. Um, for yourself, also, make sure it doesn't have to be the day of. It could be a few days before. Make yourself a time to take all any clothes that you might wear on Pesach and check all the pockets. It's also relevant to coats or other pockets, anything that you doesn't just go routinely into the washing machine um, to make sure you, you, you check the pockets. Um, also, of course, we mentioned car seats. Strollers can often have in different pouches in different areas food. Um, toys, uh, especially, you know, either put them toys is something which is a mock Shemakhnizbechamitz. Kids go in the middle of a meal and start playing with the Legos, with the Mega Box, with the Magnet House. Um, so um, you could um, have separate toys. You could have Pesach toys. That's one thing. Books, kids' books, also full of crumbs. Don't, you know, put them away for Pesach. It's not, it's not really practical to, to Pesach clean books. Your own Sfarim, okay, we'll get to, oh, I'm running around over here, um, but toys are also, many toys are easy to Pesach clean. Legos you could just put into the washing machine run or put them in the bathtub with bleach and um, that's it. Is it a chumrah? No, well, no, I don't think it's a chumrah. I think because Legos is a makam Yeah, well, you see, well, there could be like there could be a piece of food inside the logo. Magnetile, you have to check each piece. There could be pieces of hummus stuck to it. That are not because that's not edible. Okay, I don't know if you could have an edible piece of hummus stuck to a magnetile. Maybe not, but certainly you could in a Lego. It's very. You've never found a crouton. You've never found no. You've never found the Lego inside a. You've never found a crouton inside a Lego piece. It happens all the time. Not nothing to do with Pesach. You're playing with a Lego, there's, there's a crouton, there's a there's a cashew nut, there's a, I mean, a lot of the things are not chametz, but they could be chametz. It's a mokum. Again, the Mishnah says that even a cellar, which once in a while the shamash might have gone into when you ran out of wine in the middle of the meal, your wine cellar is considered a mokum shemachnis and chametz, right? So Lego is certainly a mokum shemachnis and chametz. And um, again, some things you could debate, whether it's a chumro or a, a halacha, but I think this is, as far as the spectrum of chumras grow, I think Pesach cleaning Lego is a very legitimate one. Again, either put it away for Pesach um, or clean it. Should also mention, by the way, when it comes to chemicals or whatever in the laundry room, you don't need to worry about that. That's not considered edible, tied, all of that stuff is fine. The only thing you have to be careful about in the laundry room is vinegar. Vinegar, white vinegar that some people use sometimes for cleaning. So sometimes it's kidney or sometimes it's chametz. But from my recollection from previous years, it's very difficult to determine whether any given white vinegar is made from, from, from chametz. And basically, put away your unless it has a hechsha for Pesach, put it away. Um, sell it with the thing. Uh, vitamins also a lot of vitamins have chametz. You should check out your vitamins. Medications, medications. First of all, the main thing I have to say about medications is don't wait till last minute to ask the rabbi if you have medication that you're going to need to take on Pesach. Um, look into it ahead of time. Find out if it, what the status is and speak to her of so we don't scramble last minute to find out. It's it's less common for medicine to have chametz. What? What's the CSC just has a two, uh, two paragraphs. It says everything that's true for the uh, not for the medicine, but for the whole shampoo general thing. Shampoo certainly is fine. No, all these things, all these things are. Okay, so I'll get to two things in a second. The. Or do we have to go buy a book and look at everything all right? So, again, I don't want to say something sort of a, a gen general rule. If you have medications that you're going to have to take, look into it. Vitamins are usually not as important as medications, and they do often contain chametz, and even more often they contain kidneys. So vitamins are more a good thing. Now, cosmetics, so it depends what. Some things are completely possible. However, I've forgotten the exact word for this. I looked into this last year a little bit. There's a certain process where they, in the chemical, where, where they make something um, that it's not edible right now, but it, it is an undoable process. It, it can be undone. Last year, this was a big thing when it came to the hand sanitizers, if, they, if it's considered edible or not. Um, the bottom line is, again, ideally, one it's certainly recommended to be machmer. It comes up in because um, shampoos. I'm not worried about shampoos. Shampoos are totally fine, but like hand sanitizers, especially because hand sanitizers are something which would come in contact with food, right? You eat from your hands, so that's something to be more careful about. Cosmetics there's different customs. Some women wear anything. Some women only wear the cosmetics which you find in the list to be kosher. But certainly cosmetics which come in contact with food, so nail polish, lipstick, any of those things. Um, certainly um, recommended to uh, toothpaste, um, certainly recommended to buy something with hechsha, even year round. There's a debate about toothpaste, but even year round, nowadays there's so many you could get, 
with a hechshay, you had tons of main. There were well, plenty of opportunity to get toothpaste with a hechshay year round. Um, it's not a chumra that cost a lot of money or effort, so it's certainly recommended. Um, I recently saw something from the OU. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not from. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm not familiar with the ins and outs. There's there's a toothpaste with extra out there. Why not? You know, like it doesn't cost you anything. What? Okay. If, why is it grow? You could get Colgate with the extra. You could get Orbit with the extra around Pesach. Some people buy now for the year. You buy now. You go to the thing. You buy Colgate with the extra, and you use it year round. I mean, I personally, whatever. I use Tom's of Maine year round, and it has an OU on it, and it tastes the same as any other toothpaste. Um, and um, sorry. Medication. Oh, so some medications are things which are archshash. So I was just when you used to say to um, wrap it in paper, but nowadays there's a much better idea. You could buy, I don't know if Jewel have it, or the, you could buy it online, or, or you know, the, the kosher vitamin companies, Maxi, whatever, they they sell empty capsules. So if you have a medication that's uncertain, that's unclear, instead of wrapping it in tissue paper, you could just put it into this empty capsule and swallow it that way. Um, yeah, so that's uh, another thing. Um, now, another big issue on Pesach, which here in Chicago, we're fortunate, at least in the city, not in the suburbs, I'm not sure, but here in Chicago, we're, we're, we're fortunate not to have to deal with is garbage pails. Here in Chicago, the garbage pails, A, do not belong to the individual, they belong to the city, and B, they're not on our property, they're in the alley, so it's no problem. If you don't have both of those conditions met, like in the suburbs, a lot of times you keep the pails on your property, and then whatever day of the week you take it out, then you know you have to be careful. But here in the city, it's not an issue at all. Um, another thing, what? Well, yeah, there's also the good to pick up the garbage. You could look on the Bolton board. There's also um, the good to have a, a two or three dates that you could go if you want to. They have like a cashering uh, facility where you could bring your stuff that you want. I mean, you can't bring your countertops, but if you have cutlery or whatever that you want to kosher, um, you could bring it there. Um, another thing to always keep in mind to to be care to, to clean out before before Shabbos this year is vacuums, vacuum bags or vacuum cleaners. Make sure you empty them. There could be a piece of chametz in there. In, the, in that case, there could even be a kazayis. So certainly um, take it out. Um, now, well, okay. Um, every year we have the another thing to do with preparing for Pesach. And of Pesach is. Uh, Okay, leading into the kashering thing, although we have a few more other things to talk about, is fillings. Um, so obviously your body doesn't absorb hummus, right? You could touch meat and then touch milk. You could touch, it doesn't absorb food. But if you have foreign body in your mouth, fillings, so then, uh, so year-round we're lenient. We don't say that you have to cash in your mouth anytime between you eat milk and fleshik. Um, but it is customary to do some sort of kashering of your mouth before Pesach. So basically for 24 hours, don't have anything hot or anything hot. It could be warm, not hot, and don't have anything sharp, like um, which actually becomes relevant because if you're fasting, this year it's a bit different because the fast of the firstborn is pushed back. But if you're fasting for the firstborn fast and then you, you break your fast at the sea and you say l'chaim on, on vodka, so that, well, vodka is usually kidneys, not hummets, but whatever, yeah. You say l'chaim on whiskey, um, then, uh, then it, that the truth is, either way, it's a sharp thing. Anyway, the bottom line is you should clean out your mouth thoroughly, you know, floss the whole thing, and, um, and then drink some hot water as hot as you can. You know, I mean, don't burn yourself, but basically as hot as you can manage. Drink so it's sort of the hot water comes as much as possible in contact with your fillings. That's the customary thing to do. Now, um, going back to to, to preparing the kitchen for Pesach and things that you can touch. So around the dining room kitchen area, that's where we want to really scrub the chairs. That's the chumrah, anything which could come in contact with food. Um, so a few things. Um, one thing that's very important to either to clean thoroughly is the if you is if, if you don't have a Pesach kitchen, um, is the knobs of your stove, the knobs that, that become dirty and greasy. Clean them very well. Now back to he asked before about the fridge, he asked about the cabinets. So it's customary, again, I don't, this is not strictly speaking required, but it is customary that anything that comes in contact with food, we're extra careful, so we cover it. So that's why it's customary to cover the shelves in the fridge. And if you're going to be using your, your kitchen shelves for you Pesach dishes, 
besides cleaning it out and doing Bidikas Chametz, it's customary to cover them with paper, with silver foil, with plastic, whatever it is. Um, now, for the knobs of your stove, clean them very well and, um, and, and cover them with silver foil. Or you can do what I did last year, very cheap on Amazon, just buy replacement knobs and use different knobs for Pesach. Um, another thing that's very important, which you don't find so much in this forum because it's a recent phenomena, but in my opinion, very important, cell phones. Cell phones are the most chametzdika thing you could possibly imagine. We don't go anywhere without our cell phones. We eat meals. We have the middle of eating chametz. You have a cell phone case that's cry. You don't want that near your pace of food. So, what a lot of rabbis recommend, and I'm, I already have it in my Amazon cart. Before Pesach, buy a new case for your phone, for your cell phone, and once you kasher over your kitchen to Pesach, so for Pesach. You switch over your phone to the new case, and that's fine. And then make sure those few days where you're sort of having Pesach dick in the kitchen, but you're still going out to eat pizza, make sure that when you're eating your pizza, you're nowhere near your phone and wash your hands off before thoroughly before you touch your phone, and that's fine. I mean, otherwise, to start keeping making sure the whole time Pesach, your phone is never going to come near the kitchen and never near the food is uh, not very reasonable. And uh, I think if we're machmer to cover the shelves in the fridge, um, this is certainly a much more... Uh, Large, you know, it's it's more concerned to have your phone come in contact with food than the shelves in your fridge, which you could see everything and clean properly. So that's uh, something to recommend. Um, now, another thing which comes in is the the um, underneath the knobs, underneath the knobs of your stove. There's always going to be schmutz over there, chametz. Now, again, remember, anything that you can't reach doesn't matter. So you clean out with a toothpick, whatever, whatever you could reach. Um, and um, if you want to feel really good, you can spray some easy off over there to make it, you know, anything that's left has, is chemicalized. And that's it. You don't need to worry about that. Um, and we also have the minhag on Pesach not to eat anything that fell on the floor. And some people have even a minhag not to use anything that fell on the floor. So if a fork or a knife fell on the floor, um, you won't use it. Is that your minhag? How do you, how do you do it? Like, do you, what do you do if a towel falls on the floor? You don't use it? Or only utensils. Right. Okay, so exactly how you do or don't apply that minhag, I guess, goes family by family. Um, it's mentioned in Shulchan Aruch customary to have a new tablecloth for Pesach. Again, not strictly required, but it is customary. It's certainly, if you cover, if you're going to use plastic tablecloths to cover it, it's even less required. Again, whatever your comfort level is. Towels and, and dishcloth also. We have washing machines, you wash them. It's not strictly necessary to have new ones for Pesach, but I believe many people do have the custom to do so. Um, one second. Yes. Pockets, I understand, because you're going to have health care. How about those men uh, who have cuffs on their trousers? Is it mandatory to empty out uh, the cuffs, even though you're not going to have uh, Like I don't think it's mandatory, but I do believe it's customary. Um, although it's becoming out of custom because nobody wears such pants anymore. But... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, but uh, certainly if you have, I, if I, yeah, the cuffs on the bottom of the pants, it, I think it's the custom to think. Um, okay, we'll talk more about Erev Pesach next time, Emir Hashem. Now, just a little bit about kashering the kitchen for Pesach. So, the basic principle when it comes to utensils, uh, first of all, if there's any questions about preparing the kitchen for Pesach, ask, you know, I'll do my best to address it. Um, but the basic principle is with utensils, like, okay, so um, chinaware we don't kasher, uh, glass we don't kasher. So basically, as far as we're concerned, the things that you could kasher are forks, knives, cutlery, and a becher if you want to kasher a becher, um, or something like that. Uh, anything which has crevices that you, that you can't clean out properly, um, we don't kasher. So... For example, sharp knives that have certainly the ones that have wooden handles which are attached to the to the blade. You don't kasher those. Um, if I recall correctly, the poskim say that the ones the more which are more common nowadays with plastic handles, 
you know, those don't have any crevices, so those you can kasher. Um, now, it's customary, although not necessary, to have a separate pot that you only use for kashering. You don't use, um, uh, so you could either have a kashering pot. If you don't have a kashering pot, what you could do is, before you use the pot to kasher within it, you could kasher the pot. So you bring the pot to a boil, um, and then you throw in it an ever meluban. Now, an ever meluban, we're going to use this for a few, th- a number of things, but you basically want to throw something boiling hot into the water to overflow it so that it kashers the sides of the pot and makes a big mess all over your kitchen. Um, so one thing you could use for that part of it is you could even take a, a spoon or a hammer, um, put a, the end of the hammer, the metal part of the hammer onto the onto a fire for a few minutes so it gets red hot, so it gets hot. And then if the pot is to a boil and it's almost full and you throw the hammer in, that will sort of bubble up the whole thing over the top. And then you have a pot that's can, technically your kashering pot and you use that. Now, when you dip the forks and knives or whatever into it, you have to make sure that it actually is, it's, and you should do one at a time. You don't want everything to be touching each other. Uh, we could do maybe a few at a time, but uh, it does say, I'm not sure exactly how you could do this with doing a few at a time, maybe you can, you know. But you have to make sure that the water is actually actively bubbling while the thing is in it. So when you stick the fork in, you use a net or whatever it is, but the the, met, the the fork is not hot, so it cools down the water, it brings the boil down, so you have to wait until it comes back to a boil, which is why if you are gonna kasher um, such things like forks, knives, spoons, my personal recommendation would be don't bother with a mess in your house, just look on the thing, take it to the, wherever it is, the kashering station. They have these huge vats, which are very, very hot, and they, you know, they're professional, they have a lot of experience, they just do it for you, and it's one less thing that you have to hassle with, but again, it's just a, preference, whichever way works for you is fine. Um, but kashering countertops and sinks, again, if you don't have a, a Pesach kitchen, is something we all have to do. So do not pour hot water and kasher your fridge. It's going to ruin your fridge and the warranty will be invalidated. Um, and now for um, so, so like this, an oven, an oven, um, the truth is that we don't recommend, if, if, if possible, you should have a separate oven for Pesach, even though we rely on a self-clean oven to kasher it year-round. Um, if you, uh, for Pesach, it's certainly better to be machmir for, for a number of reasons. Um, either because it's not really Kabbalah, there's no actual fire, or because there's a glass door, whatever. If you don't have a separate Pesach oven, then if you have a self-clean oven, you can kasher it, you put it on a full self-clean cycle, and you should cover the door um, with silver foil, with two layers of silver foil around, make sure the whole door, that part is very difficult to cash, so make sure that part is all covered with two layers of silver foil taped around the front, and um, then that's fine. If you have a non-self-clean oven, then that's very difficult to properly cash for Pesach, because a blowtorch is not really an option, because we're concerned you won't do it properly, because you'll be legitimately afraid that you're going to ruin the oven. Um, and anything that we're scared you might not do because you might be afraid. So we say you just can't do it, it doesn't work. So um, again, um, better to have another oven for Pesach. I know some people have been said to manage without any oven for Pesach, just doing everything over the fire. It's another way if, if, that's, a, if that's a thing. Um, now for the stovetop, if you have a gas, there's basically, as far as I can know, three types of stovetops. You have a gas stovetop, you could have the electric stovetop with the coils, or you could have an electric stovetop with sort of like a glass flat thing. So um, for the electric stovetop with the coils, for that one, you want to make sure to... Now, I don't know. I certainly don't want to take any responsibility for people pouring hot water on the on the stovetop. I don't know where that water could go, if it could ruin the electricity, if it's plugged in or unplugged um, on your... Um, but uh, you could, for the electric, the truth is if you're using electric stovetops with a coil, it's really very inexpensive to buy portable ones for Pesach and just keep them separate for Pesach. That's certainly recommended, although you can kasher it by leaving it on, leaving the coils on for a long time, for like two hours, that would burn out anything that's in there. And then you cover the bottom with silver foil and you make sure any, any food that would spill over on Pesach onto the bottom, you don't put it back in the pot, you just throw it out. The same goes for a gas stovetop, that the stovetop itself, if you can pour some water on it safely, I'm not sure, but if you cover it with silver foil and you make sure that anything, well, I guess two options, either you cover it with a double layer of silver foil and then if food falls on it, you can pick it, you know, if you're scrambling eggs and a piece falls out, you can pick it up and put it back in the pan. 
or just cover it and anything that falls out over there, um, don't worry about it. The disc that's on the stove, the, on the fire, you know, once you run the stove for whatever, 20 minutes, half an hour, um, then that's considered caution. You don't need to worry about that. It's not coming in direct contact with the pot or the food. So that's really of little concern. Um, the grates on which the pot rests, that's the part where, the, where it's um, questionable whether or not kasher works for. And therefore, if you can um, get a new, sorry, if you can buy a new one for Pesach, um, that's certainly uh, recommended. I was fortunate enough to be able to do that last year. And they even sent me a spare piece with it. So not only do I have spare grates for Pesach, I even have a trivet to use on my countertop. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, if you can't do that, then the way to kasher those, the, the best way is take a nine by 13 pan, um, put it upside down over the, over the fire, run the fire for 10, 15 minutes, and any part that was under the pan during those 10, 15 minutes is considered kasher. It might smell a little bit from burning the pan, but it's not dangerous. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, if you have the electric, um, sort of the modern electric stoves, which is just like a sheet of glass where you have these four spots that get hot, those are very difficult to kasher properly. Um, the only, um, you can't really put, there is a video online, if anybody's interested, I can send it to you from the COR, from the Canadian uh, Rabbinical Council, where they have a whole um, uh, sort of sophisticated way how to cover, you know, to cut out the holes of silver foil and kasher it. I guess it technically is doable, um, but uh, it's, it's not, a, it's, it's difficult. So, okay. Um, also you should cover, um, ideally even with two layers of silver foil, um, the top, the fan or whatever is on top of your stove top because the steam goes up, the steam goes down, things drip, you know, better safe than sorry. Um, now when you're cashing your countertops, so there's different customs, exactly what to do. But basically, technically, if you use an oven milubun, which means that you pour the hot water over the countertop and make sure every spot of the countertop, but you pour it over the stone, that's so one way to do it, this is what I do, is you could buy the kashring stone, which is basically a cage with a big brick and a long handle, and it comes with gloves that reach all the way up to your elbow, so you're safe. And you leave that brick on the fire for 20 minutes or so. And then you boil up the kettle. And again, recommended that you use a kettle that's just used for kashring purposes, if possible. Um, and then you pour the water over every spot of the counter, but over the stone. So then it sort of gets a brand new sizzle as it gets onto the counter. However, so you do that for your whole counter space. Um, when you do that, you should also do that for your backsplash because pots could touch the backsplash, things could splash in the backsplash, that's why it's called a splash. Um, so, um, so you should kasha that as well. The truth is the backsplash, you don't need to kasha with the stone because the reason you need the stone is because in case you have any hot solids, like a piece of challah out of the oven onto your countertop. Um, but if you have, um, but there's not going to be any hot color on your backsplash. It's just a concern that some, um, you know, something splashed over there. Now, technically, if you cache everything like that with an Evan Miluban, you don't, in, in make I did, you don't need to cover anything. That's considered cache. However, it is customary um, to cover it. And it's even customary to, some people have the custom to cover it with a double layer. Now, technically, if you're covering it with a double layer, so not the thin silver foil, but either a thick plastic or a thin silver foil and then a thick plastic, or sometimes you could find here the, around Pesach time, the heavy duty thick aluminum foil. Um, so technically if you're double covering it, you don't need to cash it at all. Because the principle is that you can't, nothing, no taste will go without any liquid. So if you have a double layer, there's no liquid in between, it doesn't transmit. However, like we said, we do everything crazy when it comes to the food area. So um, some people cash it with a stone and double cover some people cash it without a stone and double cover. Some people cash it with a stone and do a single cover. All of those options are perfectly legitimate. Um, now the sink. So first of all, before you cash your sink, you want to make, oh, before you cash anything, your countertop or the sink, you want to make sure it's 100% dry because if there's any water there, that will cold, cool down the, the hot water that you're pouring on it. Um, some people uh, want to be lenient to cash with a steaming machine, which is made to remove wallpaper, but um, it's not recommended. We don't, we, 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 the, certainly the Chabad Rabbanim don't, uh, not comfortable with that. Um, it has to be water. Even we don't even cash with any other liquid other than water, ideally. 
Um, and um, so that, and, and also it's customary after you finish kashering to pour some cold water over it. Um, now, uh, okay, for the sink, so before you kasher the sink, you want, the, the, the concern is that there might be some chametz, some actual, not absorption of chametz, but actual chametz stuck in the drain somewhere. And then, you know, steam, the, it could get clogged up on Pesach or whatever. So before you cash the sink, take some very strong chemical, Mr. Plumber or something like that, that's made to unclog drains, pour it down. So in case there's any chametz there, you've taken care of it. Um, then you uh, take the, you cash the sink. So there's two ways. The best way to cash the sink is, like I said, with the Evan Meluban, with the stone. So you start in the bottom, first you do the base of the sink, and then you do the walls of the sink. Technically, you could cash a sink with a blowtorch as well and hold the blowtorch on each area of the sink until the corresponding area on the outside of, on the other side of the metal sheet becomes yatsula. This way becomes very hot. Um, the reason why that's not so recommended is because first of all, around the drain, there could be some plastic or rubbery things that will get burnt. And also on the top of the sink, you have the sealer, the, the caulk that could get ruined from the fire. So if you were in the mood of caulking the sink again yourself, that's fine. Um, but uh, otherwise, probably better to do it with hot water. Now, technically, once you've done that properly, you don't even need to cover your sink on Pesach. Um, or if you do it without a stone and just put hot water and cover the sink, that's fine. But nevertheless, it is customary to cover the sink, to have a sink insert, and you can buy all the different sizes in sink inserts at Hungarian. Um, last year, they had a bunch, some of the sizes at Jewel. And, um, and, and by the way, if you ever can't find anything or whatever, nowadays, look on Amazon. There's so many things you could buy, actually. Um, you know, for it was often an issue to get cups, glasses for the Seder, for the four cups, because we don't use plastic. I saw on Amazon 16 four-ounce glasses for $16. Um, so, you know, nowadays, Amazon is certainly a great resource for these type of things. We spoke before about the knobs, the phone cases, lots of these things are very, sink inserts, a lot of them are very easy to find on Amazon. Now, the tap and the hose and all of that stuff, you want to make sure to clean very thoroughly. And then um, you pour hot water on it. For the, for the head of the tap, you could even, you might even be able to dip it into the hot, hot water or pour either way, as long as the hot water gets directly from the kettle everywhere, you don't need to bother with the stone as far as that is concerned. On the other, the hose, yeah, pull out the hose. Well, so what the thing is with the hose like this, also pull out the hose and pour hot water over it. However, on the one hand, you don't need to use the stone for the sink and the, for, the, for the tap and all that stuff. On the other hand, you really have to clean it thoroughly. And sometimes there's buttons, you know, where you switch between the, 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 the power hose or the sprinkler hose and, you know, you get with a toothpick behind all of that um, can be tough. So, um, so make sure you clean it out very well. It's recommended that you change the air, you, you um, change the aerator, um, you know, just buy Home Depot or Amazon, a new aerator, and it's probably not going to fit and it's going to break and whatever. Um, now, the truth is that, so what I ended up doing last year, actually, some people have a custom to cover the sink, the faucet with a cloth. Um, Pesach. So just in case there's any, you know, somebody threw a piece of bread into the reservoir and the crumb came through, it's going to get blocked by the cloth. Now, if you, if, if, if it's, if, if replacing the aerator is tough, it doesn't work for you. If you just pop out the aerator and inst instead of putting a new aerator, you could just put a cloth and tie it. And that, you know, if you don't have any aerator or cloth, the water's going to come shooting out. It's not going to be convenient to use. But if you have a cloth over it, that sort of spreads it out and it becomes um, very usable water. Um, Yeah, very good. The keyboard of a computer is another place where there's going to be lots of crumbs and things. So, first of all, there's a spray you could buy. Um, it's actually an office. It's made for computers. You can sell it at Office Depot, where it sort of just sprays out air, and you run it over your whole keyboard, and any crumbs that are there um, will come out. Again, you don't need to start removing the keys and taking crumbs from underneath because that's a place that you can't reach. Um, but anything on the surface, well, that's the easiest way to do. I don't recommend using that spray for the sh stuff underneath your knobs because it's flammable. <laughs> but uh, um, but you can use that for your computer. And I don't think it would be unreasonable to say that on Pesach, after you've used the computer, wash your hands before you touch food. Um, that would that would make sense to me. Um, okay. Any other questions before we continue? Any place that you're gonna be like. Uh, for example, I, I have a machine on Pesach that you used to, like a deep fryer to make french fries. 
So the area on top of that, covered with a double layer of silver foil, because the steam goes up, comes down, who knows what you had there during the year. So, you know, cover everything with a double layer. Technically, anything that's covered with a double layer is is, is, is sort of nothing, is, yeah. Yeah, so if you're renting a hotel room or an Airbnb or even a car, renting a car, even though the rental company do clean it out, but they only clean out the places that you're going to see at face value. I don't know that the rental company are going to clean out the pouch where somebody might have left, uh, you know. So if you're renting a car or anything, whether it's on the Friday of Erev Pesach or whether it's on Cholomoyed, and before you, you unpack or before you drive off in the car, you should do B'dikas Chametz. Yeah. If you rent a car on or you should check it. Yes. Okay, I'm, I'm, there are some rabbis who are lenient, but that is the... Uh, that's what Rabbi Oberlander says. That's what. Uh, if you're going away for Pesach, where do you do Pesach? Oh, so if you're going away for Pesach, so the, again, there's different, there's different shittas, but my understanding of the the way Chabad Paskim rule is that you just sell your house completely and no. you nobody can come in your house over here. Again, if you're going to be away for the entirety of Pesach, if you're coming back on the way, that doesn't work. But where you're going, let's say if you're going to stay by your parents, um, you do B'dikas Chometz just in your room. You have your own separate 10 pieces of bread. The rooms that your family are occupying, you do B'dikas Chometz. Some Paskim say that you should give a dollar um, to your father to rent it out. So it becomes yours. If I recall correctly, Reb Chaim Shalom Deitch says that according to Alter Rebbe, that's not necessary. But um, give your father a dollar in case you don't want to rely on my memory. That's fine too. <laughs> um, and, um, and, and you have your own separate 10 pieces and that's how you get to the Midrash. Um, and then you could also, if your father, if your father does it the way we does it, that he splits up the work over the weeks leading up, that's fine. But if you want to help your father do the whole house as his shliach, uh, whatever, your brother, if you want to help him and be his shliach, um, that's, that's also a thing. But your own chiyah v'dikah you do with your own room, and because you have your own ten pieces, so it's a makam shemachis and mechametz. Even if it's Friday... Yeah, if it's Friday, you do it without. A, sorry, I should clarify. If you're doing it on Friday or on Cholamayd without a bracha, I'm fairly certain. I'm fairly certain that's without a bracha, and um, and you don't put out ten pieces of bread or anything like that. You yeah, just just yeah, you just no. But I'm saying on Friday, you just make sure to check all the drawers and check all the areas in the hotel. Um, you get as much window. Open the curtains. Make sure you have as much window lights as possible. And, uh, and check it. And if you're able to get to the hotel the night before and check it with a candle, that's even better. Okay, we'll continue next week in Mirat Hashem with the halachas as they pertain to the special circumstance of this year and preparing for the Seder. Thank you.